0: In this week's episode, there are no benefits to having diabetes, like none whatsoever, right? And for someone to think that having diabetes gives you a physical advantage, it's just honestly the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulon podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon. Welcome back for another week, another episode. I'm delighted to have you here and I hope you've had a great week so far. I hope your blood sugars have been acting how they should be acting. And I have to say I've had a good week myself. I had my my diabetic blood test results, my A1C results this week. So I'm sure as you know, going in there, it can be a quite daunting and intimidating uh, to think, oh, what's the result going to be? Have I have I been doing what I should be doing? So yeah, it can be nerve wracking, but I have to say I'm delighted. So I'm in a great mood. I'm happy with the results. And what makes me even more happy is the fact that I have Mr. Graham O'Toole.
1: Owen, we had Eric on last week. Truly inspirational man. I
0: loved listening to that episode. I think... Since I recorded it last week, I've probably listened to it about three times. He's so knowledgeable about diabetes. He's an expert on his own diabetes and how to manage it. And he is one of the most fearless diabetics I've ever met because he has been cycling around the world and he's been living in India for like two years. And as we all know how disruptive diabetes can be just on a regular day, the thought of just kind of getting up and going and cycling around the world is just, as you say, hugely inspirational. So it's a, it was a fantastic episode. I'm really loving the sense of community
1: we're getting from the likes of you, Eric. We had Austin on a few weeks ago and then Gillian as well. The online community seems to be so strong and with such amazing people who are fronting it as well. And I had a look at that diabadass.com website that Eric set up. And it's just amazing that you have so many resources out there
0: um, that probably weren't there a couple of years ago. What goes on online and as you say, the community that you can be involved in online with other diabetics makes the <laughs> makes the condition a hell of a lot easier to deal with. Because as we've said plenty of times before on this podcast, the days where you feel like shit and you're like, Jesus, my blood sugars are all over the place. I don't want to get up. I don't want to do anything. I have no motivation. And you're like, I am the only one on the planet that feels this way. The great thing about this sense of online community is tap a few buttons on your phone and you're connecting with thousands of people around the world that are experiencing the same things as you every single day. So it's, uh, yeah, it's unreal.
1: It's class-like. Before we get on to this week's subject title, how's your week been?
0: Week's been good. I know I refer to it pretty much every episode in recent times, but the weather in Ireland is just so nice recently. It really makes the pandemic easier to deal with. I was out in the garden a few times this week just working from the laptop and uh, got pretty badly burnt, I have to say. <laughs> I'm like a lobster walking around. You're, you're a little bit rouge in the face, aren't <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's also, I'm in the attic room of my house, so... I have two big windows. Now, it's a great space, and I've like turned it into an office while I'm here. But the sun just directly shines in through these windows, and it's almost like it's a magnifying glass into this room. So, right now, I am, it's as if I'm sitting in a sauna. I really want to open my window here, but there's a
1: guy two houses down fixing a lawnmower, and he keeps smashing with the hammer. So, it's very annoying. <laughs> Let's talk about this week's episode. We're going back to, I think it was one of, My favourite episodes to record, it was the first time we tried to debunk some of the myths that you have come across or have been asked in the past. And there was a a lot we didn't get to in that episode, so we're going to take a second go at it and try and get to a few more of them. So you've given me a list of ones, I'm going to put them to you and you're going to debunk these myths. So let's kick off with people with diabetes should only eat diabetic
0: food. I don't know why to say, obviously this comes from the idea that diabetics have to avoid certain types of food, which is completely not the case. So obviously people that don't have any relations or friends or, or no uh, contact with a diabetic on a regular basis, they may believe that diabetes can only eat diabetic food. Presumably diabetic food is just zero sugar food, but just because it's zero sugar, doesn't necessarily mean that it's zero carbohydrate. So Quote, unquote, diabetic food can still impact your blood sugar. And I remember, I think the, must have been one of the first or second years I was diagnosed with diabetes. I think one of my aunties, coming from a great place, basically produced this diabetic chocolate for me as part of my Christmas gift. And uh, I was like, oh, whoa, yeah, thanks so much. And diabetic chocolate is rotten, rotten (laughs) because basically, right, first of all, it's expensive and completely unnecessary. And it contains different types of sugar. So it has fructose and a thing called sorbitol, which is basically another type of sweetener found in fruits and plants. But that can act as a natural diuretic and act as a laxative. So if you're to Mm. eat a lot of, diabetic food. You might
1: spend a lot of time on the toilet. So is the point of diabetic food, is it so it doesn't affect your blood sugar levels? Is that the actual point of it or is it just a marketing ploy?
0: I think a bit of both. I think, yeah, the reason for it is to be food that won't affect your blood sugar, but that's just not the case because you could get diabetic sweets or diabetic chocolate that's zero sugar, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not gonna have any sort of impact on your blood sugar so yeah i think a lot of it is like a a marketing ploy as well
1: i'm so so embarrassed this week i sent you on the picture i was scrolling through my instagram from years ago trying to find a specific photo and i came across me sharing a picture of you (laughs) what's this about and it's you just really tensing in a in a in a lift or an elevator and i was Telling people to follow your new page at Insul Owen and you had just started off. And the caption was, follow my friend Owen Kosolo. He can't eat sugar, but he lifts (sighs) things and he draws real good. And I looked and I go, oh, how uneducated was I saying you can't eat sugar? And this is exactly <laughs> what you've been saying over the last how many episodes that now you can't eat sugar. Yes, sugar uh, hasn't really got anything to do with it. Well,
0: look, Graham, haven't you come a long way within
1: your uh, your diabetes education? I'd say at the time, though, you're like, oh, this bloody idiot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> OK, moving on. Mm-hmm. So you can eat foods that isn't just diabetic food. Number two, people with diabetes
0: are dangerous drivers. You must be diabetic, then, Graham. I <laughs> stop that now. I've heard this a lot of times. Like when it comes to physically driving and your ability to drive, obviously diabetes doesn't have any sort of influence about, like, on how much skill you have as a driver. But there's a common saying that we use within the diabetes world of five to drive. So this basically means your blood sugar needs to be at a level of five. Now that's five. M M O L L, which is how we read it in Ireland. So, if I was checking my blood sugar and it was five, I'm basically at a safe range to drive because if I was lower than five, I may be close to having a low blood sugar. So, ideally, you don't want to have a low blood sugar while you're driving because you could potentially pass out. So, no you're you're not a bad driver if you're a diabetic. You just need to take the necessary precautions before you get in a car to ensure and to be sure that your blood sugar is at a safe range so you don't drop too low. So
1: similar enough to most other things when you've got diabetes you just have to think a little bit in
0: the future about where your blood sugar range is and where it's going to go. Yeah, absolutely. I always say that living with diabetes, you need to live consciously. And obviously, somebody like you, Graham, who doesn't have diabetes, you can just kind of go about your day and jump in your car whenever you want and off on your way you go. Obviously, with diabetes, it's important to think ahead and be like, mm, okay, well, I'm getting in the car now. I may be driving for 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it is. And it's important for you to know, Basically, just where your blood sugar at. So you can anticipate what you're doing over the next hour or two. So you can keep yourself safe, really. And you say it's five. What would that be in American readings? So five would be... Um, what's five by eight? Ninety. Ninety. 90? There you go.
1: Yeah. Number three. People with diabetes
0: get sick easier. For example, the cold and the flu. Okay. We had briefly touched on this, actually, with the covid19 episode so like the impact covid19 can have on your diabetes when it comes to actually getting a cold or a flu we're not at more risk but if we do we are at more risk of complications or it's just harder to manage so basically if you have diabetes it's harder to fight off a cold or flu and if you have a cold or flu, it's harder to manage your diabetes. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle. So basically when you have the flu, the reaction in your body is very stressful. So basically your body is under stress. It releases stress hormones, which will hopefully fight off the cold or flu, right? So if I was to get a cold or flu, basically I will release stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline, which basically the function of that is to release extra energy into the bloodstream in the form of glucose. So this glucose gives your body that energy to kind of fight it off. Now, this comes from the fight or flight idea. So the function of stress thousands of years ago was to either fight something off or run away from something. So when it's psychological stress or stress like that in your body where you're not necessarily physically fighting something off or running away those stress hormones still have the same reaction in your body so if you are sick with diabetes and these stress hormones are released your glucose is then going to be released which is obviously going to spike your blood sugar and because we don't naturally release insulin because our pancreas doesn't work if it's untreated as in if we don't monitor our blood sugar regularly or don't take sufficient amounts of insulin Our blood sugar would just go up and up and up and up and up so if you are sick it's important to check your blood sugar regularly take your insulin as you normally would drink lots of fluid and obviously contact your doctor but no you're not at more risk of actually initially getting a cold or flu it's if and when you do it can be more complicated
1: the next one I do be shouting at you when we go to the gym together and I'm a firm <laughs> believer in this one, all right? Yeah. Diabetics are at a physical advantage in the gym. I mean, you lift a lot more weight than me so it has to be the diabetes, must not it?
0: Of course. What else could it be? It's <laughs> only the diabetes. This one, This one really sets me off, right? Because there are no benefits to having diabetes. Like none whatsoever, right? And for someone to think that... Having diabetes gives you a physical advantage. It's just honestly the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I remember I was out one night years ago and some some guy comes up to me and and I knew him like I, I knew him to chat to and he comes up to me and he goes, you're diabetic, aren't you? And I was like, I am indeed. Why? And he goes, oh man, I wish I was diabetic. And I was like, excuse me? And he was like, yeah, sure, that's why, that's why you're like, that's why you're big and in good shape because you take insulin, isn't it? And I just put my head in my hands and I was like, oh my God. Now it's easy to kind of go off on somebody like that and get super defensive. But the best response for me is to just say, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. And then they're kind of like, oh, wow, maybe it's very serious. But anyway... No, it doesn't give you a physical advantage. I think people automatically get this, like, have this irrational response of seeing, he's injecting himself with something. Therefore, it must have some anabolic reaction in their body. Therefore, they're at an advantage. It's like, what? I'm externally taking insulin that your body releases internally. And then you'll get the side of people that are like, oh yeah, well, you can manipulate your insulin doses for certain times and stuff. It's like, well, yeah. Of course I can, but so can you. All you need to do is eat a certain type of food and your body will naturally secrete it from your pancreas.
1: Okay, moving from putting on a lot of muscle in the gym to people who maybe don't have much muscle. Skinny
0: people don't get diabetes. All right, this this is completely untrue. So the two main types of diabetes are type 1 and type 2. Type 1 is the one I have. It's an autoimmune disease, you get it or you don't, it's just bad luck. Type 2 is generally associated with obesity, but you don't have to look fat basically to get type 2 diabetes. So it will come down to insulin resistance and you can have internal fat, which is visceral fat that basically surrounds your organs right so it's not visible fat under your skin but because your organs are being surrounded by fat that then can make you resistant to insulin and lead to type 2 diabetes okay
1: and we'll wrap it up with this one type 1 diabetes can be cured slash reversed talk to me is this a myth
0: Ah, oh, stop! <laughs> unfortunately, it is a myth. I wish it could be reversed, and, like millions of people around the world, we wish it could be reversed, but no, unfortunately, there is no cure, and there is no vaccine currently. So when you get type 1 diabetes, for the time being, you have it for the rest of your life. So when you hear people that are saying it's you have an advantage in the gym and this that and the other it can be quite frustrating because, no, there isn't isn't a cure. I remember
1: in last week's episode with Eric, he briefly touched on, well, he said kind of a statement going, we can't talk about there being a cure when there's such issues with the pricing of insulin in America. And he kind of moved on then and talked in depth, and it was fascinating about the prices. But are there rumours or are there people trying to find a cure for type 1
0: diabetes? Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely there's definitely people out there trying to do their part to put an end to this finally. But um I'm not sure about how close they are to it, mm. you know. But yeah, as Eric said in that episode, it's difficult to talk about now more so for him because he's he's living in the states and stuff, but it is tough to talk about that like that far into the future with a cure when there is medication right now that can be made for so cheap and that like the reality of it is it keeps you alive every single day and people don't have access to that because it's so expensive or they don't have insurance or whatever it may be so fingers crossed (laughs) there's a cure soon Mm.
1: it's it's frightening listening to eric talk about the situation
0: in america like he's so passionate about it like I am too but it's closer to home for him and he would see it firsthand more so than I would because he's kind of been in that sort of society his whole life and he's seen friends who can't afford it or have lost their jobs and lost their insurance so it's something that I think particularly Irish people in Ireland that just kind of get their insulin handed off to them on the long-term illness scheme should not take for granted because uh a lot of people struggle with it.
1: And especially because he's travels around the world as well, he's able to compare and contrast other countries' systems to the States as well. And it must be so frustrating. But let's move on because a couple of weeks ago, Owen, you put out the call for any emails, podcast at gmail.com. And we got an email and there's a couple of questions in here for you, Owen. I'll read it out and we'll see if we can help out Bethany. So Bethany says, I've recently discovered your Instagram and I've started listening to your podcast. They're really nice to listen to as they're so relatable. I was just wondering what you consider high. I was listening the other day when you both checked your bloods and both said you were high. Now, I think this must be in relation to the Austin first
0: Yeah, episode. I think we
1: checked our blood sugars during that episode. Uh, she goes on. I think someone was 8.8 and someone else was 10. I was listening thinking, that's not very high and I wouldn't be worrying slash correcting that. So I was just wondering what your target is set at. I personally have my Libre target zone as 4 to 9. I was also taught that it's not great to overlap insulin and ideally... Should leave four hours before injecting again, but it seems that you correct slash inject quite often. My blood generally spikes after eating. I post a lot of my graphs on my diabetic Instagram confessions underscore off underscore a underscore (laughs) diabetic. So was thinking maybe I should inject more often. Thank you. And that is from Beth. Now there's a couple of things in their own. Mm. I think
0: beginning she wants to know what you consider high. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you, Beth, for getting in touch. Yeah, that's a big thing for me. I want this podcast to almost kind of be like an open forum, let's say, each week. So, if somebody listens and something crossed their mind or they want me to cover something in particular, please don't hesitate to email. I'd love to talk about your your questions or your topics with Graham so we can uh, we can work on them together. But to answer your question, Beth, I would consider anything over 8 as high. So, I was always taught anytime I went into my diabetic nurse or doctor that ideally my blood sugar should be between four and eight. Now that's for Irish readings and the UK. In the States, ideally it should be 72 to 144. Now, obviously this will have, this will depend on the types of food that you're eating and what you're doing, like for the next couple of hours, if you're going to be playing sport or if you're going to be going for a drive or whatever it is, but if I was to check my blood sugar and it was anywhere over eight, I would definitely correct it. Now that's me personally, I can't obviously advise medication, but that's what I found works best for me and anything over eight, I will look to correct. And then the
1: second part of her email was generally asking about overlapping insulin and how ideally she was taught to leave four hours before injecting
0: again, but you seem to inject quite often. Well, I will only inject if I'm eating food or if I see that my blood sugar has basically gone into a higher range. If I was to eat something, I would inject my insulin, and then 20 minutes later, you might decide that you want to eat food again. So I'm not just going to eat my food, inject, and then eat something again and not inject, you know? I will always work out exactly how much carbohydrate I need or I'm getting from that meal and then take the, basically the exact amount of insulin. Ideally, you don't want to be taking loads of insulin every day because it's just harder to manage. Like if you're injecting every half an hour, you can kind of get lost in how your insulin is going to act and when your insulin is going to peak. So it's good to have them split out. But if I have a meal and then half an hour later I want to eat something, I'm going to take my insulin for that meal too. So
1: you're kind of doing it on a case-by-case basis where if you're eating a lot one day, you will probably inject more. But if you're maybe not eating as much and not being as active, you you probably don't. So it basically depends on how active you
0: are and how much you're eating. Would that be right? Yeah, exactly. I think because every day in our week is different that will basically translate into our insulin doses being different so you need to kind of be able to manipulate your insulin dose based off your nutrition that day or your activity that day or whatever can impact your your insulin dose
1: Beth, thank you
0: very much. Beth was
1: the very first email read out (laughs) on the Insalone podcast. So a big moment for Owen and I and Beth and that email address again, because as Owen said, it'd be great to have this community and an open forum is Podcast at gmail.com and ask whatever you want based on anything Owen has said.
0: Absolutely. I get a lot of messages in my DMs on Instagram so it'd be nice to get a few into the emails for the Insulone Podcast so we can actually talk about them to each other and then talk about them to a wider diabetic audience because a lot of the questions I get will often be the same. So I feel that if if I'm kind of getting the same question frequently or if there's something particularly on your mind, definitely shoot us an email and we'll uh, address it on the podcast. I'd be happy to.
1: Excellent. And uh, rate, review, subscribe, share, do whatever you can to get the insulin Podcast Absolutely. word out there.
0: Tell your brother, tell your sister, your dad, your granny, your dog, everybody. I want to reach as many diabetics as we can. It's very important. So thank you for listening. And thank you, Graham.
1: Thank you. Uh, chat to you next week.
0: Absolutely. I'll chat to you then. Take it easy.